When the moon hangs high in the midnight sky Like a cat's claw scratching down And the wolves, they do howl For they smell something foul Mr. Whiskers has come to town He trundles out of the dark Looking for a lark You better pray you don't catch his eye For when he is done having his fun You just might wish you could die <laughs> my creepy kitties. It is I, your host, Mr. Whiskers, the Mad Catter, here to bring you another episode of Twisted Tea Time. So, as most of you know, I have been having trouble getting my episodes out at a consistent rate. It doesn't seem that's changing anytime terribly soon. Well, actually, it will change soon, as pretty soon I'll have a, a whole bunch of free time. Unwillingly, but that's a story for another day. <clears throat> but I have decided, rather than delay this episode any further, uh, since it was meant to bring you all of three stories from Hollow Roots, I'm going to simply deal with the fact that I have two stories done, and I'm going to call it good, and get that to you sooner rather than later. Oh, and... Uh, Tonight's tea is cheap boxed Cabernet Sauvignon. It doesn't merit describing unless some wine label wants to possibly sponsor me. If that is the case, or any aspiring writers want to uh, chance the harrowing labyrinth that is my quality control department, uh, aka me, please write to Mr. Whiskers at themadcatter.net. That's M R W H I S K E R at the mad catter c-a-t-t-e-r dot net thank you now as there are no new reviews for me to read you all are slacking and I lack the time and patience to come up with a podcast shout out right about now let's get on with the show you can arrive by foot you can arrive by car, but the fact of the matter is you won't get far before Hollow Roots decides to give you a scar. You can be strong, you can be meek, but if Hollow Roots is the town you seek, then your future looks rather bleak. So watch out, my friend. This place bears bad fruits. Logic and physics are things it disputes. So you best beware when you arrive in Hollow Roots. In a town like Hollow Roots, it's hard to find any to assist you when you are in a bind. So when a boy, along with man's best friend, must stave off woodland horrors to the bitter end, in a home protected by fire and sigil, I present to you, my listeners, the tale called The Vigil. The Vigil. The Vigil. By Garbage Factory. The smoke from the fires had turned the sky the color of bloody egg yolk. Muddy, orange, red, and yellowish-white, 
a hazy screen through which a faraway sun shone faintly, apocalyptically. The columns of smoke twined together, gathering in the sky over the house, slipping up through the fanned branches of evergreens. The boy stood looking out the window. Twelve. There were twelve fires in a circle around the cabin, and they had burned all night, gasping into ash and coals several hours previous. Now the sun was threatening to set again, to give up to darkness, and the boy knew it was time to relight the fires. He turned from the window of the little house's kitchen to where a big brown mutt sat on his haunches, and he watched silently, ears flat against his skull, as the boy made ready for his patrol. He sat on one of the three chairs at the table, tying the dusty laces of his boots. The dog stood up with the soft clicking of claws and the scratchy padding of big paws and sauntered over to where the boy sat. He stuck his cool nose up against the boy's cheeks, then gave him a gentle lick with his sandpaper taffy tongue. The boy laughed quietly and sat up straight saying, Good boy, and gave the animal a scratch under the chin before standing up. The dog whined. The boy looked across the kitchen to the small window out at the hastening dark and shivered. Perhaps he waited too long this time, came the evil thought, unbidden and cruel in its plausibility. Perhaps the fires won't be enough, came the next. He picked up the shotgun from where it rested on the table and cocked the slide back. Eight rounds in the tube, one in the chamber, just like Dad said. The weapon felt heavy and real in his hands, and he realized for one horrifying second how small those hands were, how weak and pale compared to the gray-black metal of the gun. He waved the thoughts away and slung the weapon over one shoulder, then retrieved the key to the fuel shed where the propane burner sat. The front door had many locks. The boy undid each of them while the dog waited patiently to be let out, and when the boy pulled the door open, the animal sprinted past his legs and off the porch, clearing the two rickety steps to the yard in one ecstatic leap. The boy laughed again, louder this time, at the dog's antics, but it was tempered by guilt. He couldn't take the poor creature out like he used to. For one thing, the dog was old, and the boy found he had only noticed this fact in the last few months. His black nose was gaining a fringe of white hairs that were spreading down along his jaw, frosting his lips and outlining the grayish pink of his gums, and he was slower than he used to be taking extra effort to get up and lie down. Even now, as the boy was closing the door behind him, the dog clearly seemed to be regretting the jump from the porch to the ground. He eased painfully onto his haunches as he waited for the boy to finish with the door.
Careful, the boy said. I can't fix a broken leg. The dog cocked his head to the side, his slack mouth closing in confusion. Never mind, the boy said. Come on. The two of them walked to the shed, where the boy retrieved the propane weed burner from under a tattered green tarp. The metal striker banged hollowly against the tank as he walked toward the first of the fires. When they stopped, the boy dropped the tank to the ground and opened the valve. The gas rushed into the hose with a hiss, and he rebuilt the pyre from the stacks of nearby brush. The dog sat watching, ears cocked, brown eyes angled toward the deep woods, where a thin curtain of yellowish smoke settled between the trees. It looked like the abode of ghosts. The boy concentrated on the fire, opening the valve on the hose and striking a spark where the gas spilled out of the tip in a foul-smelling, vaporous haze, and the gas ignited with a quiet roar. He placed the hose at the base of the pile, letting the flames spread up through the dry sticks and branches. Then he heard them, long mournful howls echoing through the pines. The dog, to his credit, did not bark, but stood, hackles straight up along his nape, yellowed teeth bared against the invisible menace shrieking towards them through the trees. They were waking up, and it was time to move. The boy pulled the hose from the pile, twisting the valve shut and sprinting to the next fire, hurriedly rebuilding and reigniting it, the dog at his heels. Between the fifth and sixth fires, the boy slowed and stopped to look at where two low mounds of dried earth lay side by side. His eyes wandered over the stones that he had placed over them in the shape of the old cross a narrow, gangly X with a circle between the top arms to represent the sanctity of man. Hurry up, he told himself. You're done crying. There's work needs done. At his heel, the dog whined and licked the boy's hand. Okay, he said, the urgency of the task at hand returning. Okay, we're moving. Come on, boy. He jogged from fire to fire, the dog panting at his heels, propane tank banging against his thigh. It had gotten lighter in the months since he'd inherited the lighting of the fires. He didn't dare think what would happen once the two giant tanks behind the cabin ran out. Just keep Just them keep burning, burning, boy. boy. That's, That's the, the important thing. thing. All the while, the sun crept lower and the howls and the trees grew shriller. God lives in hollow roots. The words flashed into his mind as his eyes tracked the descent of the blood sun. And he is thy neighbor. Keep thy neighbor as thy neighbor keeps you. He was finishing with the tenth fire as the last light of the sun disappeared behind the pines. Oh no, he whispered. He could hear their cries echoing through the trees, the predatory sounds of night beasts rising to the hunt. Oh no, he repeated. Run, boy! 
Back to the house, now! He turned and sprinted back toward the cabin, discarding the propane tank and readying the shotgun as he did so. Losing the tank was bad, but if they got him, it wouldn't matter whether he had it or not. He heard them tearing between the trees near the unlit fires, breaching the circle. His only hope now was to make it to the porch, where the old crosses burned onto the surface would keep them out. I knew it, he thought. I knew I waited too long. Oh, merciful God, help me! He could hear them behind him, the alien scratching of their limbs along the ground, the groan and creak of their breaths between hideous calls raising the short hairs along his neck. It was almost full dark now, and he was feet from the porch when he realized the dog was no longer at his side. Baron! The boy yelled. Baron! Where are you? As he leapt up the steps, he heard his answer. They had dragged him into the forest beyond the flames. The boy turned, listening to the savage sounds of Baron's last stand, heard the defiant growls and anguished bellows as he fought the things in the woods for his life. There's nothing to be done. The words stilled the boy as he moved to run to his friend's rescue. It was the voice of his father. He's, He's fighting, fighting, but he knows his time is up. Let him go, son. The boy stood on the porch, listening as Baron's battle cries quieted. And for just a moment, after the shrieks had faded, the silence came rushing in like water through cracked glass. All he could hear was the minute snapping and popping of ten eager blazes around the cabin. He turned and opened the door, stepped inside, locked the many locks. After he had drawn the old cross in charcoal on the back of the door and by every window, he stoked the fire in the wood stove and pulled a chair in front of it. He would be safe for tonight, but tomorrow was another matter. He looked to where he had left the shotgun leaning against the doorframe and was suddenly furious. They hadn't even let him fight, damn it! They'd just taken Baron and left him alone. It seemed the old maxim still rang true. Hallow roots scars us all. God is my neighbor in hallow roots, the boy muttered, and I shall keep him as he keeps me. Outside, the ten fires continued to burn, and the smoke that hid the stars was like a fog that no sun's heat could burn away. It appears the boy's future looks quite grim, but he was lax, a sign he might be rather dim. Well, next we find a traveler who finds himself lost. He decides to rest in this small town regardless of the cost. 
hoping for a hot shower so his body can wash and douse. He finds he might be in something else. Something like a slaughterhouse. Slaughterhouse by Derpy Spaghetti. I found hollow roots driving on my way from Red Deer to Thunder Bay. A quaint little place. It interested me. And as it was on the way, I figured I may as well stop for the night. I found it to be, to my delight, a place that seemed to be off the grid, so to speak. And had been left behind at the turn of the century. I drove in my 2009 Subaru and found there to be no paved roads and to my surprise, no cars whatsoever. This made me need to focus on driving through the narrow streets and couldn't see the town like I had wanted. Because of this, I was in a hurry to explore the town, so I tried to find a hotel to check into as quickly as possible. Finding the closest inn, I parked my car along the street, as I couldn't find a lot. I opened the doors, the clicking noise of the locks startling me. I shivered, goosebumps running up my back and I realized my hands were shaking. I assumed it was from the drive over, but I'd be lying to say I was completely comfortable in hollow roots. The lack of modern technology in general was eerie, to say the least. The gray skies and small, wooden buildings seemed to stare down upon me, judging me telling me to move on from this town. I looked up at them and tried to say that I wanted to leave, but I realized I had already stopped for too long to get to the next town over before dark. My footsteps echoed against the boardwalk as I walked to the hotel. As I did this, I noticed a smell unlike any other I could recognize. I wasn't able to place it, but I knew there were at least hints of gasoline fires somewhere. I wondered why, considering that I couldn't find a single piece of familiar technology, especially nothing to do with pumping gasoline. I became worried that I might not be able to make it to the next town, but was snapped out of the thought by a crow's shrieking cry. I looked around, and then up at the inn, feeling even more out of place than I had before. Towards the doors, the steady treading of my footsteps, whispering a message of my arrival. I opened the door, a steady creak announcing my presence to everyone in the inn. The sign hung over my head as I walked through, making me realize yet again how out of place I was.
I didn't want to be stared at by the locals, so I tried to be low-key. But I couldn't help but wonder what was going on with the locals and their strange pioneer-like customs and old-timey dress. The inside of the place was made of straight wooden walls with some boards crudely hammered on over large cracks in the wall. The kerosene lamps provided tiny sparks of light inside the otherwise midnight black emptiness of the inn. The smell of cedar and booze floated lazily around the place and the lights gave off a light smell of smoke, which added a feeling of edge to the place. I walked up to the desk where I assumed I was supposed to get a key to a room, and met eyes with a somewhat strange character that was, I assume, playing poker. The others sitting around the table simply sunk their heads into the cards or pulled the brim of their hats down as to not make eye contact. I pressed a little bell on the desk with a sharp tink and waited for someone to tend to me. After about 15 or so seconds, a woman came walking out from a door and began writing things down in a notebook. Excuse me. I said. Could I check into the hotel for the night? The lady behind the desk looked up at me and asked about my style of dress. I replied that it was simply my work clothes. She gave me a strange look but inquired no further. I simply requested a key and she gave it to me, then asked for a small sum of money. I reached into my pocket, the coins jangling as I grabbed them. The metal on metal gave me chills, goosebumps running up my arm like lightning. Breathing out harshly, I handed over my pennies and dimes so I may stay the night. I put the key in my pocket and started walking up the stairs. Each step softly creaking under my weight. I moved quickly as I was beginning to become unnerved, but before I got to my room, I felt a hand, icy, as that of death grasped my shoulder. What are you doing here, stranger? I turned around looking for the origin of the voice and found a man dressed in casual clothing, looking at me. A red beard ran down his chin, and his hair was cut down to an inch or so. His manners seemed to indicate a level of knowledge about something I didn't have. You'd best be getting going. I smell fire, and that means something's going on. What do you mean? He simply gave me a puzzled look, as if there was something I should know. Sighing, he spoke once more, his voice taking on a much more serious tone, the words coming 
much more slowly. The fire means they'll come. They're drawn to it, like moths are to a lamp. I looked at him, the kerosene lamps blinking like stars behind him. His brow furrowed in a worried look, his eyes stern. I was taken aback by this, as I assumed Hollow Roots to be a simple town. That was strange for the attractions of tourists more than anything, and in no way outright dangerous. He must have seen my confusion, so just said one thing. Don't go out after dark. Puzzled by this, I simply nodded and turned to leave. I found my room easily and put the key in the lock. It went in with a scrape that reverberated up my arm as to announce I had committed to staying here. I never enjoyed the feeling of being stuck doing any one thing, but I had stopped here, and nothing I could do would change the fact that I would have to pull an all-nighter to get to the next hotel. Opening the door, I looked inside. The room was pitch black, as though something inside was sucking out all the light. I stepped cautiously in, feeling around for a sign of something, anything to create a light. I stumbled more than once over something loose on the ground before finding a small cardboard box. Assuming this to be matches, I opened it up and pushed my hand inside. The matches felt old and rotted, but nonetheless match-like, so I took one out and struck it. The orange glow penetrated the darkness like a single star in the emptiness of the night sky, giving everything I could see a slightly orange hue. Right next to the matchbox was a kerosene lamp and a note saying, for your use. I lit the lamp and the larger flame burst up with a puff of sweet-smelling smoke. I swung the light around the room and found a single bed. Sighing with relief about the room, I realized something was off. The crimson sheets seemed wet, almost shiny. I looked at it, disgusted, but tried to dismiss this as a simple spill. Yes, perhaps the previous guest had been drinking wine and the housekeeping had forgot to clean it up. Of course, that was it. I began to hum a tune to myself and sat down on the duvet. 
the salty smell of dried blood hit me straight in the nose. I jumped off the bed and ran straight down the stairs, the board shrieking under my weight, my footsteps crashing and echoing through the entire inn, announcing my presence to everyone within the walls. I slammed to a halt at the front desk and bent over panting. My breath tasted salty in my mouth. I stood up straight and slammed my hands down on the desk with a sharp crunk that made my palms steam with a vengeance. I pulled my arms away, the unpolished wood leaving a few splinters in there as painful souvenirs. The lady looked up at me in a strangely calm fashion. Yes? She said. What is going on in there? She looked at me again in a calm manner. The crimson liquid! The blood! I shouted, my arms darting around the room. I wanted to run far away from Hollow Roots, to just get away from this fucked up town. We like to provide our guests with the very best experience, sir. If you don't like this, may I suggest the Moonlight Inn? She said, still quite calm. That's when I realized something. This wasn't a hotel. Excuse me, but what is the purpose of this place? I inquired. That's simple, sir. We provide meat to the local restaurants when the other stuff becomes too expensive. If you were simply looking to stay the night, the Moonlight Inn will suffice. I looked around the room and everything began to make sense. Everyone in this town was going to eat me. The woman behind the desk she just wanted to make a quick buck. That man, warning me not to go out, simply wanted a cheaper dinner. I began to scream. He looked through the window, his unkept red hair glistening in the light of the kerosene lamps. The stranger hadn't held up well in this place. They never do. A heavy breath escaped his lungs. That stupid kid was burning those fires again, making it even worse for him. The shrieks of the banshees had started up again. As they do every night a fire is lit. They screamed monotonously, almost harmonously. He sighed. The stranger shut the door to his car, and the headlights lit up. He should have told him about the stranger things that go on in this town, but then again, that probably would have frightened him off anyway. Hollow Roots was a bigger place than most people expected, and the stranger wouldn't have made it even if he had left. He turned away from the window 
as the car was engulfed by the shrieking darkness. Alas, my friends, the time has come. I am afraid our stories are done. Do not fret, take heed, and don't you cry, for we have more tales with which to ply. So go on now and rest. You deserve it, my friend. We'll be back. This is far from the end. Good night, my creepy kitties. And of course, pleasant dreams. <laughs> The Mad Catter Presents Twisted Tea Time is copyright 2018 by Z.P. Gowdy. All stories are... What? I forgot... I, I forgot something. What did I forget? Oh! Oh dear. I did. Oh, I do so apologize, my creepy kitties. I completely forgot to introduce the narrator of our second story. That's right, Slaughterhouse was narrated by none other than the amazing, wonderful, diabolical quipster Puck. In fact, I will provide links to his YouTube channel uh, in the show notes. So apologies to Mr. Puck that I neglected to originally announce that you were narrating and did the voice of the front desk lady in there as well. <clears throat> now, moving on. <clears throat> All stories are the properties of their respectful authors and are obtained via direct permission, Creative Commons license, or they are simply public domain. Music in this episode of Twisted Tea Time can be found in the show notes. If you want to support the show and help us grow, then leave a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or simply go to www.patreon.com forward slash themadcatter and sign up for a low-cost monthly subscription to get bonus goodies. For more of me and my mischief, find my charming grin on facebook.com forward slash Cheshire Hat or on Twitter at one mad catter, that's numerical one, and download past episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash Cheshire Hat. Good night, my creepy kitties, and of course, pleasant dreams. <laughs> you be quiet. I'm recording.